please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be reading uh, the first uh, 20 verses of Mark chapter 5. We have been listening in chapter 4 to Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of uh, heaven. And uh, last time uh, we read of how on that same day during all that teaching that the disciples were uh, in some great distress, uh, that Jesus was was in the boat and uh, they were uh, amazed that Jesus was yet much greater uh, than uh, they had even yet believed. And uh, of course, we were encouraged too that uh, Jesus is much greater than we think of him even even today. And so they had a very uh, they had a very difficult time, uh, rough waters, and no doubt when they got to the other side of the sea, oh, they were ready for some rest. And this is what the Bible says. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with unclean spirits. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus. And saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful today that as we come to this place of worship where you haven't come, Lord, to hear the words of men. We haven't come, Lord, to hear the stories of men, but we have come to hear from you and to hear a word from God. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would, by your spirit work in all of us this morning, that we would hear you speaking through this word that you have told us is inspired, that it is the very breathed out word of our God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, a uh, farmer in a remote area of China came to a mission compound where a missionary, uh, missionary doctor uh, was able to remove the cataracts uh, from his eyes. Uh, a few days after the farmer went home, uh, the doctor looked out his window and noticed the same man uh, holding the end of a, a long rope. And in single file uh, behind him, holding to the rope, were several dozen blind folks whom the farmer had rounded up and led for miles to the doctor, uh, who had worked miracles on his eyes. Uh, Because, of course, his sight had been restored, he wanted others to experience uh, the same thing. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Someone receives this help from a doctor, goes home, and then leads all sorts of other folks um, to the doctor. I know some of you have had cataract surgery, uh, and when that surgery goes well, you become a cataract surgery evangelist, telling all others you know with cataracts what that surgery did for you and how they need to get it done as well. It's uh, that way with everything, I suppose, that captures our, our hearts and fills us with joy and thankfulness. Uh, we can't keep it uh, to ourselves. We must, uh, we must go and tell others. Um, What must we go and tell? That's what this passage is all about. First of all, we have a man, uh, a man out of control. This is what the Bible describes. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, remember Mark, immediately, this gospel moves fast. Things happen fast in the life and ministry of Jesus. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, in the last passage we looked at, in the end of chapter 4, the disciples were confronted with a, uh, with a wild windstorm uh, and a wild sea, a wild creation. But Jesus uh, was in the boat. And here, the disciples and Jesus empty out of the boat onto the east side of the Sea of Galilee in the country of the Gerasenes, also translated sometimes as the Gadarenes, in the area of the Decapolis, which simply means ten cities in Greek. This was an area mainly populated by Gentiles, thus the herd of pigs, which we will meet, which was forbidden to the Jews. And no sooner do they step ashore, but a man emerges. Matthew notes that there were two men out of the tombs, uh, tombs being probably uh, these uh, abandoned burial caves, maybe, that folks had cut out of the cliffs. Uh, He emerges from out of there because that's where he lived. Uh, That's where he dwelt, uh, cut off from society, living among the dead. And we go from a wild, untamable sea to a wild, untamable man. And clearly that this is a wild man out of control is Mark's concern to demonstrate. Luke says he ran around without clothes. He was naked. More than that, he's so out of control that nothing, Mark says, nothing men have uh, done has been able to get a hold of this man, to contain him. He had an unclean spirit. No one could bind him. They tried. 
Roped in work, not even chains and shackles. He broke them apart, wrenched them apart. No one was strong enough to subdue him. He's cut off from all others. Uh, his life was a terrible life of wandering among the dead. Makes me think of October in nations like America, where for some reason, in the month of October, we like to surround ourselves with the dead. And we put skeletons on our front yard. And we, uh, and we put, uh, I think in New Zealand one time, I saw like a half a person hanging from someone's front tree. And we do that. For some reason, in the month of October, we surround ourselves among the dead. Well, this man was, um, was really among the dead. Always crying out, the Bible says, and cutting himself with stones, marks and wounds all over his body as Jesus meets him. Hair, no doubt, long and filthy. Nails, dirty and broken. He must have stank. Matthew mentions that this man was so fierce that no one could pass by the road close to where he was for fear of this man. And verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus, uh, he ran towards him. Like I said, the disciples were looking for some rest. Uh-uh, not today. A wild, untamable, oppressed, fierce, destructive, outcast, unloved, feared, seemingly hopeless man, a man out of control. Mark doesn't tell us, nor do the other gospel writers, what the response of the disciples was to this man. I wonder, if you were there, can you, what would you have done as you got out of the boat? And here comes this man. Uh, how would you have responded? Would you be looking maybe for a stick? Uh, I'd be looking for a big piece of driftwood you know, uh, to defend yourself. Would you maybe be clambering back in the boat and saying, Jesus, oh, I think this is the wrong stop. We're the next stop. Uh, or maybe you've learned something about the wind and the sea and, uh, and you just kind of slink in behind Jesus. Bible doesn't tell us. Clearly, this is a man... In need of help. And that help clearly is described as beyond the help of men. This is a picture of men and women today in their sin. The irony is that it's not others who have put the chains upon us. We have put the chains upon ourselves. According to the Bible, Romans 6.16 says... Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? Either, says the Bible, of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, uh, which leads to righteousness. There's only two. We present ourselves, the Bible says, to sin. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, presenting themselves to sin, and they became obedient slaves to sin. The Bible describes us as bound in sin. Bound in chains of our own making. The natural person, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, or foolishness. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That simply means, the Bible saying, because of sin, we've made ourselves unable to do what is right. Unable to follow God. Not because we have no will and no desire of our own. We do, but we willingly desire sin. And we put the chains on our own arms. A wild man out of control. Here they can't subdue him, and they certainly can't heal him or change him. All they can do 
which is what we would do with such people today, is avoid them and warn other people about them. Human solutions to our deepest needs cannot save us. I remember reading about Margaret Sangster, the social worker, not Margaret Sanger, uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sangster, who told an audience about seeing a small boy in an urban ghetto sitting on the stairs of his apartment. And the boy had been hit by a car several months before, but his parents neglected to get him the proper medical attention he needed. And although she, he wasn't part of her, uh, her caseload, she took the boy to an orthopedist, uh, learned that through an involved series of operations, the child's body could be made normal again. She cut through the bureaucratic red tape, raised the funds, set the process of cure in motion. She's telling this story to an audience. Two years later, she says, the boy came to her office, and to her astonishment, he walked in without crutches, and to show his complete uh, healing, he did a cartwheel in front of her to see, let her know how, how good he was doing. They hugged each other, and when the boy left, Sangster said to herself, if I never accomplish anything else in my life, at least here's one young man to whom I can point where I've made a real difference. Remember, she's speaking to an audience about all that's happened. And then at that point, she paused in her presentation and asked, uh, this is all several years ago now, where do you think that boy is today? And so some people were uh, filled with the moment. They said, well, is he a school teacher? Uh, maybe he's a physician. Maybe he became a social worker uh, like you. And then there was a longer pause. And with even deeper emotion, Sangster said this, no, no, he's, he's in the penitentiary for one of the foulest crimes a human being can commit. And then she said this, I was instrumental in teaching him how to walk again. But there was no one to teach him where to walk. See that? Also, even, you know, we can fix people even today, maybe physically, but we can't change the heart. This man in Mark 5 seems hopeless, but today, today this man will meet Jesus. Now, don't miss this. Verse 35 of chapter 4 said, remember, before they get in the boat, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. That is, Jesus wanted to go to the other side. Jesus knew where they were going. And Jesus made sure they got there. This meeting with this man was no accident. This meeting was planned and purposed by the Lord himself. A man out of control. Secondly, an enemy, an enemy... Under uh, control. That's what the Bible says, verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, that Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. This wild man had, verse 2 told us, an unclean spirit. In this case, it's referring to a morally filthy spirit. That is, this man was possessed by a demon a servant of Satan, demons being evil in themselves, fallen angels, uh, and a source of harm and evil for those whom they influence and those in their power. We saw a similar uh, reaction to Jesus by the realm of evil right at the beginning of the Gospel in Mark 1, 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Same thing. The man falls on his knees before Jesus, cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Verse 8, we find out Jesus had already been commanding the Spirit to come out. But again, notice the demons are more orthodox 
than many professing Christians today. You never hear a, you never hear a demon in the Bible speak of Jesus as, here comes the model man for the 21st century. You never hear a Jesus in the, or you never hear a demon in the Bible saying, here comes the greatest teacher that's ever lived. Uh, you never hear a demon say of Jesus, here's a fine moral example for our nation. No, they know the truth of who he is, the son of the most high God. And they also seem to know the truth of 1 John 3, 8, which goes like this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Oh, they know it. So they are afraid that Jesus has come at this point to destroy them completely. They know Jesus is the judge. They know the time's coming when they'll be cast into the lake of fire. And they also know that they must be in submission to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Many asked, well, why would Jesus ask this man's name? You know, was he asking the man without the demon what his name was to get to know him better? Was he, you know, why would he be speaking to the demon? And the best that we can uh, think about this is, well, Jesus here, no doubt, is trying to show the man himself and the disciples gathered around uh, just how deep this man's problem really was. This man's not oppressed by one, but many. Legion is his name. Roman Legion was about 6,000 men. But the point here is simply... Many. But these many demonic spirits are under the control of Jesus. They are, that is, under his authority. Now, how so? Well, notice what we read in the following verses, verse 10 and following. And he, that's legion, begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he, that's Jesus, gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. They begged him earnestly, they begged him, and he gave them permission. From whom do you plead or beg something? Well, you do that to one who has authority and power over you. From whom do you seek permission? You know, parents don't ask permission. They don't ask their three-year-old, um, will, will you permit me to, uh, you know, take you to, uh, to the grocery store? No, you don't do that. The child asks, Mom, Mom, can I please go outside to play? You ask permission from one who has authority and the right to permit, you see. So often we, in this story, we get caught up with the pigs and uh, we lose sight of the wonder that the sovereign of the sea, that is Jesus, is sovereign over evil and he's sovereign over all. This is what this passage is teaching. The demons came out of the man, they entered the herd of pigs, and the pigs died in the sea. Why the pigs? You ask yourself that? Did the demons just have a lust to destroy? Well, yeah. Did they perhaps think that by destroying the pigs, they'd make their owners mad at Jesus? Well, we don't really know. But we do know that the demons take control of the pigs, and they rush down the hill to their death. Jesus will not permit them to destroy this man any longer, so they simply strike out at uh, another one of God's creations. 
But the demons we hear no more of. But the point is this. The unclean spirits, like the wind, like the sea, are under the authority, the power, the control, the sovereignty of this man, Jesus. So no matter how dark, no matter how apparently hopeless, no matter how wicked, no matter how bound, no matter how feared, no matter how fierce, no matter how filthy and dirty and naked and stinking, Jesus commands, come out and all is changed. What's the point here? Well, the point so far is this, that it takes uh, the power of Jesus to meet our deepest, most fundamental need for this man. Nothing else would do until Jesus comes. And Jesus has power and authority and the will and the grace to transform him and us. And interesting, Jesus didn't talk sweet to Legion. Jesus didn't use a clever technique to get Legion. Uh, you know, maybe you want to take your life in a new direction. Why are you oppressing this man? No. It takes the power of God to raise to life a dead sinner, an oppressed sinner, whether oppressed by a demon or not. Do you believe that? The Bible says it's so. The Bible says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And there he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church in Ephesus when he says, when we were dead, he made us alive. It's not that we are drowning in the water. And Jesus throws us a life preserver for us to take or leave as we choose. The Bible's picture, friends, is this. You are dead. I am dead on the bottom of the sea. And Jesus dives down to the bottom of the sea and raises me up. There's a man out of control. There's an enemy under control. And thirdly, we see a crowd... We see a crowd seeking control. That is control of Jesus. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled, as you would, <laughs> as I would, told it in the city and in the country. The word for country there is the uh, Greek word agros, means went and told the agricultural folks. That is, went to the farms too. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw that everyone knew it. We now know who this is. This is the demon-possessed man. The one who had the legions sitting there, clothed. Where did he get those clothes? Clothed and, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This was not a day at the office for these herdsmen. When they went to work that morning, little did they expect what they were about to see. They were used to the wild man among the tombs. I mean, everybody knew him as the demon-possessed man. I haven't been around South Jersey long enough, but perhaps there are, there are people in our community that you might just mention their name to somebody and they'll just say, oh, I know who that is. Oh, yeah, he's that guy. Everybody knew him. 
So they kept their distance, these herdsmen, but obviously they were close enough this day to see what happened. And they saw the wild man. They saw Jesus speaking to him. They saw their herd run down the steep cliff into the sea and drown. And then they saw the man changed. And so they ran back to the city and all over the country to tell their owners and everybody else within earshot what was happening down by the sea. And the people come. The crowd comes. And what did they find? Well, the first thing they saw was Jesus. And they saw the man they had all feared sitting. Luke mentions he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting instead of running among the tombs. They saw him clothed rather than naked. They saw him in his right mind, that is, exercising self-control simply is what that means. Not crying out and screaming and cutting himself with stones. And everybody who saw what happened was telling about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Everybody was given their, given their witness, their testimony, what happened. And the response of the crowd was, the Bible says, they were, they were afraid. Now that should sound familiar, because what was the response of the disciples when Jesus graciously uh, awakes from his slumber and speaks to the wind and the sea, tells them to cease and be calm? Uh, the Bible tells us back in verse 40 of that, uh, or in verse 41 of chapter 4, and they, that is the disciples, were filled with great fear. Why fear? Well, for the disciples, remember, their response was, who then is this? Who is this Jesus who we say we believe, but we've never really seen his power like this? And these folks, perhaps Gentiles mostly, seeing Jesus for the first time. And what happened? Oh, we're filled with fear. I mean, who has power over evil? Evil spirits. I mean, who has the power to take a man rejected by all? Possessed by evil, naked, despised, and make him a man who simply sits quietly, peacefully at the feet of Jesus. Who does that? The power, friends, and majesty of Jesus struck fear into their hearts. And this was not a godly fear. This was the kind of fear that wants to push him away. We know that because of what they do in response in verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus, plead with Jesus to leave. They beg him to leave. They plead with him to leave. They were frightened of the demon-possessed man, to be sure. But at least he was allowed to stay among the tombs. They were more frightened by Jesus and his power and in his glory. Now, yeah, we can understand that the owners of the pigs, of course, would have been taken aback and disturbed. <laughs> and they're probably wondering, you know, who's going to foot the bill here um, for these pigs? On the other hand, a man who everybody knew was possessed of evil was now sitting saved and transformed at the feet of Jesus. I mean, how about a little bit of rejoicing with this man? Hey, good to see you. What happened? No. Should they not have went through the countryside and city themselves and bring every needy person they could find to Jesus? I mean, if Jesus could do this for this man, I'm going to go get little Susie. Or I'm going to go get Aunt Martha. Should they not have invited Jesus to their home? Oh, please come to my house. And begged him to stay longer. But no, they wanted him to leave as soon as possible. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention the same response. We want you to leave. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Come Christmas, Lord willing, we're going to have all eight of our children with us home for Christmas. And uh, we're looking forward to that. When their stay comes to an end, I guarantee you, we will not be begging them to leave. <laughs> we'll be begging them to stay. Yeah, quit that job in California. You don't need to go back. Uh, no, he wouldn't say We want them to stay. You know, some people today say, hmm, not enough evidence. I will believe in Jesus if he appears to me right now at my command. And if he appears to me right now, then I will believe. No, you won't. For some, if Jesus were to actually appear in his majesty and glory, you would be filled with fear because of his greatness, his glory, and his majesty. That is, if you have an unrepentant heart. These folks were scared of Jesus. They perhaps resented Jesus. They wanted to control Jesus. His gospel work, you see, was upsetting their apple carts. Or their pig carts, I guess you could say. Jesus was a, a disturber of the peace. Never mind the salvation of this man. How is the loss of these pigs going to affect the economy? And so it always is. People are happy to have Jesus around. I mean, a little bit of old-time religion... But once that gospel actually has an impact on our life and conduct and bank account and speech and family and routine, Jesus, I think it's time to go. I think it's time to leave. Friends, the obvious person, of course, in need in this passage is the man possessed by legion. The not so obvious, but equally desperate people in need are those who see the work and power of Jesus And push him away. You may not be running around naked, <laughs> screaming, possessed by a demon, cutting yourself, outcast, fierce, avoided, despised, and smelling like death. You might be respectable, clean shaven, hair neatly combed, and smelling of perfume or cologne, speaking nice words, and being pleasant company, but just as much as lost. And in need of the power of Jesus to transform your life. You know, sometimes we think it's really only bad sinners who need Jesus. I mean, we're not perfect. And we'll admit we're sinners, but we're kind of good sinners. You know, it's a homeless, out of work, dirty, can't hold down a job, drug addict, prostitute, mentally unstable. They're the really needy people. They need Jesus. They need to worship. They need the church. They need fellowship. They need the Bible. They need prayer. They need help me. Jesus, I need you to leave before this gets any more uncomfortable. You can be friends in Satan's domain of darkness and be decent folk. You may have a family. You may go to church. But if you ever sense that commitment to Jesus means your life is going to have to change, only you'll have to give up your sin and your pride and your heart and your thought life and your time and your energy and your love and your life itself for Jesus. And if that preacher ever seems to be preaching to me, Jesus, uh, I think you need to leave. Colossians 1, 3 to 4, 13 and 14, friends, is not just about demon-possessed sinners. It's about all sinners. When 
The Bible writes this, or God writes this. He's delivered us from the domain. He's delivered us. He writes to the church in Colossae. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's where you were too. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's everyone who's a believer has to be brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. As someone has said, the gospel is not about Jesus dressing up a pig in a tuxedo. It's about transforming the pig into a new creature. The resurrected Jesus gave the Apostle Paul a mission, similar mission. It's not just for demon-possessed man among, among the tombs and among, among death. Actually, the Apostle Paul was given this commission uh, by Jesus. What was he supposed to do? Jesus said to him, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Why? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, a place among those who are sanctified by faith. In me, see friends, the Bible says there's only two kinds of people, those under the power of God, doing his will by faith. They've seen Jesus. Uh, they've seen his love and mercy at the cross and his resurrection are following him. And those who are those who are under the power of Satan, those who are in darkness, who don't see their need, don't see their sin, don't see the joy and the, and the grace and the power of Jesus. This is who we are. We need to be brought out. But this crowd... When, that, when, that, uh, when Jesus' presence hits a little too close to home, they want him to go. A man out of control, an enemy under control, a crowd seeking control, and the news that can't be controlled. The news that can't be controlled. This is what the Bible says. And he, uh, or sorry, verse 18, as he was getting into the boat. So Jesus is getting the boat, time to leave. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You ever notice there's a lot of begging going on in this passage? <laughs> a lot of pleading going on in this passage. Demons begging Jesus to allow them to go into the pigs. Granted. An unbelieving crowd begging Jesus to leave. He will. A believer, transformed by Jesus, begging that he might remain with Jesus, go with Jesus, stay by Jesus' side. Deny. No. It cannot happen. And you say, wait, wait a minute here. What's going on? Demons and unbelievers seem to get their way. And a believer is denied. What's up with that? It's all the more striking because you have a scene here of you've got a formerly wild man possessed of a demon who wants to be with Jesus. And you've got the respectable folks from town who want Jesus gone. But why does Jesus say no? Why? Because to always get what we want is clearly no sign of God's blessing. And a no from God may be the glorious answer to our prayers. 
Instead of stay and soak in the presence of Jesus, he needed to go and tell. Notice Jesus will leave, but in his grace, he will give this crowd a witness. He could have said, okay, everybody out of here, no more gospel for you. No. He will leave them with this witness. Instead of remain with Jesus, he needed to go home and tell two things. Just two things. What the Lord had done for him. And how the Lord had mercy on him. Oh, friends, evangelism, gospel telling, is much more simple than we make it out to be. There are no 12 steps here. There is no complicated evangelistic program. Uh, There is no call here for four years of seminary studies to know what it means to be an evangelist. There is no need for this man to enroll in an online course. If you have known something of the saving power and mercy of Jesus Christ in your life, you are equipped and qualified to tell others. All Christians are witnesses. Now, if you haven't seen the Lord, if you have no faith, if you have not experienced His grace and mercy in your life, then you have nothing to tell. But if you have, if you are a true believer, you will be a witness. Like this man, your life itself uh, will be a witness. Folks who came from town and country knew, (laughs) obviously, he was different. He was not the same man. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, Luke tells us. That's a position of a learner. That's someone who's teachable. That's someone who desires to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just been saved by Jesus. Now he's at the feet of Jesus. I want to learn. You're a witness by a life that's been changed by the gospel. Well, how would people see that today? Well, simply this. Christians worship God. Non-Christians have no desire for worship. Christians look for opportunities to worship God and to study His Word. They're at His feet. They want to learn more. They pray to Him. They want to fellowship with His people. Where else would you want to be? Non-Christians can't be bothered to worship. And there are at least a hundred other things more important than worshiping God with His people. For the non-Christians. That is, by their fruits, said Jesus, you will know them. They knew this man was different. They knew he'd seen Jesus. They knew Jesus had changed him. And it's the same for you and I. Our attitudes, our loves, our movie and music and reading choices, our words, will testify to whether or not Jesus has transformed our life. Like this man, uh, our obedience to Jesus will testify to the fact that we know Jesus. Now, this man was told a hard thing. I mean, Jesus told him not to stay and soak in Jesus' presence. You've you got to go and tell. And he obeyed. It must have been hard. He wanted to stay, but this was Jesus who was speaking to him. who just saved him, and so he wanted to please his master who'd saved him. And so he went and told his friends, family, neighbors, what Jesus had done for him. In fact, the Bible says he went and proclaimed, that is, preached in the Decapolis, ten Gentile cities east of the Jordan. He, he didn't just stay home. He, went, he, he couldn't stop himself. The news could not be 
control. Now, friends, you may not be a gifted speaker. You may not have a college education. You may not be a big reader. You may not know anything about apologetics. But do you know Jesus? Have you seen him? Have you been at his feet? Have you known his grace in your life? Has he done anything for you? Has he had mercy on you? Grace? Has he not given you the punishment that your sins deserve? That's mercy. Has he given you what you absolutely don't deserve? New life in Christ? That's grace. Any of that true? Of me? Or of you? If so, if so, you are qualified to go and tell. And here's the wonderful thing. You don't need to go to Africa or Uganda. You can. You don't need to go. You don't need to go to Africa or Uganda or Haiti or the Netherlands or Israel or Iran or Brazil. You just need, the Bible says, to start at home. To whom do you go? Go to your house. Jesus says, go home to your friends. Uh, it actually says, go into your home to your own. So whether you have family, whether your own is friends, maybe you don't have family, you go home to the people who knew you before. I mean, how long it had been for this man before he would have been home? It been a long time. Who were his friends? He had no friends. He'd have to look them up in the phone book. Where'd they move to? Uh, I need to go find them. The first place in which we should witness for Christ, the Bible says, is our own house. Fathers, mothers. Isn't it strange, friends, that we will send missionaries to Uganda. We will send missionaries around the world to teach little children about Christ. But here in America, we so often take our children and give them to the the state to be taught that God is irrelevant in their life. Why do we do that? If we're sending, if we're paying a lot of money, we're sacrificing to send, you know, new missionaries to Uganda, what are they going to do over there? Well, they're going to gather all the children and tell them about Jesus. So why don't we got to do it at home? First. First. Go back to the people who knew you before, Jesus says to your family and friends, to the relationships you already have, the New Testament pattern for evangelism, you go back into your own circle of influence, your own, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your, 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 your workplace and your school and your common interest groups, whatever it is, and community contacts. Tell them what? What great things God has done for you and the mercy he's had on you. But you might say, well, yeah, but I mean, come on. They all know me. Yeah, that's the point. They need to see that you've been changed by Jesus. They have to see your transformed life. You go back to them clothed <laughs> and in your right mind. You live Christ before them, and when they ask why you're so different, you tell them. And what do you tell them? Well, Jesus is very clear. Simply tell them your story and the gospel of God's grace and mercy. Tell your personal testimony. Tell them, says Jesus, how much the Lord has done for you. Now, so often we're good, so often we're good at telling others how much, isn't this true? We're good at telling others how much we have done for the Lord. 
You know, I've, I, you know, I've been serving a long time. I've been teaching this so, so many years. I've done so much for the Lord. I need a break. Um, you know, I've, I've been a pastor for, I don't know, 25 years, I could say, or something like that. I've been preaching and preaching. I've done, I've done so much for the Lord. No! <laughs> that is not the gospel. The gospel is you and I telling others how much the Lord has done for us. And the mercy he's had. Can you imagine... Oh, you got to do it for, for a minute. Can you imagine the kind of conversations this man, formerly known as Legion, may have had as he went about the countryside? So he's walking up to people, shaking someone's hand, and as they press his hand in there, he says, I'm the man formerly known as Legion. And they would be aghast. <laughs> and they might say to him, or, or he'd say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And they'd say, but wait a minute, weren't you naked, screaming, and out of your mind? And he'd say, yes, but uh, Jesus didn't send me away. And they might say, but weren't you all bloody and marked up and stinking and filthy and fearful looking? They'd say, yes, but uh, Jesus didn't run away from me. So Legion, I mean, what did you have to do to get rid of those demons? I mean, it must have been at least five steps. No, he'd say, I, I just ran to Jesus screaming. And he commanded them to leave. And it was over. And they were gone. And, and I was cleansed. And I was there to speak. And... I was free and I wanted to stay with him. But he wanted me to tell you what he's done. And I I suppose, I suppose so that you will go to him too. Dear friends, are you looking for opportunities with those you know to tell them of the great things God has done for you and the mercy he's shown? Encouraging them. To come to Jesus in faith, sinful though they are, dirty as they are, to know that he will not turn them away. Jesus said, all those who come to me, I will never drive away. I mean, if Jesus was ever going to drive somebody away, this would be the man. Instead, we come and he gives us a new life, set free from bondage to Satan to be servants of God. He gives us new clothes. Again, where did those clothes come from? Taking off our filthy life of sin, dressing us in his righteousness. He gives us, friends, a new mind so we can think straight about him. And he gives us a new purpose in life to simply go home and tell others what God has done and of his mercy. And so the man who was out of control spread the news that cannot be controlled. For his people cannot help but go and, and tell what the Lord has done for me. There is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us today. Lord, as we see the great power and mercy of Jesus in this passage, not only sovereign of the sea, sovereign over evil, sovereign over me. Lord, we pray that Lord, we would be convicted today that it's not only simply this man whom the disciples and Jesus met there in the land of the Gerasenes who needed to be changed, and that only Jesus could do it, but Lord, that we are all sinners in need of that transforming power that only Jesus can bring. Help us, Lord, today as we leave this place to be found at his feet. But then help us then hear those words of Jesus too, that we cannot remain there, but we are meant to go and tell others of the mercy we've received 
that they too might come and find this glorious Savior. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.